So, um, I was going to do like a little series about something else, and then I was like, well, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, it's the first Sunday in Advent. We obviously have to uh, take priority in that. So, uh, we follow a lectionary in our scripture readings. Uh, they give us about four, two from the Old Testament, uh, one from the Psalms, and then one from the Epistles and one from the Gospels. Every week, not just in Advent, this is throughout the whole year. Um, but today, uh, to, not, to not make it too complicated, uh, we're just going to look at one of our scripture readings, which is Jeremiah 33, verses 4 through 16. So I'll give everyone time to turn there, and I'm going to take the liberty to, of reading all of chapter 33 from verse 1 through 16 to give us some context. Um, So let's stand for a reading of the word. This is God's holy inspired word uh, given for our edification, for our encouragement, for correction, and to train us in righteousness. So let's honor him. Jeremiah 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the house of this city and the house of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them to reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I will provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, they are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast. There shall shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voices of those who sing, and they bring thanks offering to the Lord, to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall be again habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. And this begins our scripture reading, which we'll go over today. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. 
In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray as we begin. Uh, Father of heaven, Father of uh, all the inhabitants of the earth, and specifically your people uh, who worship you, we pray that your word would go forth today uh, with mighty power. Let us realize and see the righteous branch in Christ and give glory to you. Fill us with your spirit uh, to hear your words, to receive it, and to do it. Amen. So just like normally when I get up here, I talk, you guys answer. It's 9.30, it's not 10.30. In my eyes, this is a give and take. So what, is, what does Advent mean? What are, we, what are we celebrating in Advent? The coming of Christ. What is Advent, though? What does the word mean? Arrival, the coming, the coming of royalty, the coming of a king. So Advent is this four-week season as we prepare for Christmas, right? So in our scripture readings, our circled or kind of uh, primary to that is we see all of this prophetic literature throughout the Old Testament or the Old Covenant prophesying of these days that are coming, right? Behold, these days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise, singular, I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, right? At this time in Jeremiah, uh, you can go back one chapter to chapter 32, and it tells you a little context about uh, what Jeremiah is doing. He's a Israel, Israelite preacher. He lives in prosperity. Everybody likes him, and he has lots of friends. <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, if you go back to chapter 32 and, and read the first five verses, uh, it's King Zedekiah is uh, in charge over Judah, uh, Jeremiah prophesies about all the evil and, and calls them to repentance, and specifically that if they're not repenting, especially the king, that as, the, uh, as Jerusalem is literally being sieged, uh, as um, Jeremiah is prophesying, uh, Zedekiah doesn't like it and puts him in prison, right? That's what we do with all the people who say things that we don't like. We just <laughs> throw them in prison, right? Uh, Zedekiah didn't believe in free speech. And so uh, that's where Jeremiah is at. He's not in the land of prosperity. He's in the land of the, uh, the city of Jerusalem is being destroyed because of all the wickedness that it is being filled with. But the Lord's faithfulness is what Jeremiah is prophesying about in these two verses we're looking at, that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Right? He's prophesying about a time of which if you just recapitulate the entire Old Testament about what the major narrative of the Bible is about. And so it starts all the way back in Genesis. It goes all the way back to the beginning. He's talking about uh, that there are promises made that God declares that if the people of God would live in a certain way that he would fulfill those promises. Uh, one of those, we start to look in Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 3, uh, and, and more so in chapter 4, is that is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and have dominion. Right? That's what we call the uh, Adamic covenant or the, the dominion mandate. Right? 
So there's been promises of God and commands from the beginning that if you're faithful and if you follow in the Lord, that he is going to give you the whole earth, right? That is God's primary goal uh, in his people is to take dominion uh, over the earth, to fill it with godly offspring and godly people through making disciples so that the glory of the Lord would be made known in every place on earth, right? Uh, One of my favorite uh, verses on that, there's uh, literally hundreds, probably thousands, is Habakkuk 2.14. The glory, as the water covers the sea, so the glory of the Lord will, will fill the earth, right? And I always think, well, if the sea goes down, how much water is there? It's still 100%. And so if the water rises, the sea is still the water. And so he's saying there's, there's times coming when the glory of the Lord will be known in all the earth, everywhere. That's what we're working for. And so from the days of Genesis, uh, from Adam, that's what the people of God were working towards. That's what Adam and then this little thing called sin entered in, where we disobeyed God and our uh, first parent, uh, Adam, Adam and Eve, uh, brought what's called original sin, is that now we are Adam's offspring and we have a nature in us that has a propensity towards sin, towards disobedience, towards being deceived, and we love it. And so when you see the, what was commanded and promised to Adam in his, the very next generation, right, it doesn't get better. They go and make cities and there's some things that you can say that look like dominion, but, uh, well, that actually happens after uh, Cain kills his brother, right? And it doesn't progressively get better. You start seeing that sin starts affecting everything, and it starts getting progressively worse for a while, right? And you're like, oh, no, what happened? Uh, Well, it's this little thing called sin, right? But Jeremiah is prophesying that the days are coming when the Lord is actually going to fulfill this promise. And he tells you, exactly when it is, right? Uh, some of those specific promises uh, we can look at in Genesis 35, 11 and 12. This is after Jacob had already been named Israel, and God reminds him a second time that that's not your name. You're not going by Jacob, you're going by Israel, which means uh, the one who wrestled with God and, and prevailed, right? Genesis 35, 11 and 12, and God said to him, him to Jacob, I am God Almighty, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And so the promises of God are always wrapped up in that there are there is a nation, there's going to be fruitfulness, and it's going to multiply. Part of what we're looking at today is Christ the righteous branch. And uh, we're going to see a little bit where where that's coming from in Scripture, in Aaron's bud staffing and and different things. But let's just think horticulturally, right? Let's think in terms of horticulture and plants, right? Uh, What is a branch? These aren't trick questions, all right? These are really simple things. I'm not trying to trick you. What is a branch? It's part of a tree, right? Where does the fruit grow? On the branch, right? It doesn't grow on the trunk. It doesn't grow in the roots. 
it grows on the branch, right? And so part of why uh, the Lord's using these allegories and these metaphors is because it's talking about being fruitfulness, right? If you were to cut off all the branches of a tree, uh, even if it lived, it has no purpose. It can't be fruitful, right? Um, I always like to reference, uh, it's Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4, where we see the parable of the, of the sower that's sowing seed into the ground, right? And the seed is the word of God. And there's four different types of soil, right? And so there's three types of soil uh, that, that sprout up into some type of plant, right? But none of them are fruitful, because that's the whole point of the parable is, he says, you'll be fruitful if the word of God goes into your heart deeply, and you'll be fruitful uh, 30, 60, or 100-fold. But even that third branch that gets caught up in the cares of this world and riches that seems to be a tree isn't fruitful. It couldn't even produce another seed to produce a tree that would be fruitful, right? So that theme of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the whole earth, taking dominion, right? It starts in Genesis, and that's the promise that's coming. That's the promise that is fulfilled in Christ, right? And so God reiterates that to, to Israel, to Jacob in Genesis 35. He says the same thing to Adam, to Noah, to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, right? He says the same thing about be fruitful, multiply. You're going to have a nation of people come from you uh, that will fill the earth, that will take dominion, right? So even later in Genesis, uh, we see one of those other promises uh, specifically to the house of Judah. They remember when, um, uh, I guess it would be Jacob, it was Jacob, Israel, he's blessing his children. How many kids has he got? If you count the girls, right? Uh, that's a good, that's, right. If you count all the women, uh, it's more than, how many sons does he have? Twelve, right? And so he's laying his hands on uh, prophesying and blessing the future generation, Genesis 49, uh, just to bring out a couple of those promises and blessings of the Lord, specifically to the house of Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's club, lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Right? There is in the line of Judah that is prophesied all the way back to, uh, from Jacob, Jacob Israel, that there is one coming from the line of Judah who is going to crush his enemies. Right? It's the same thing that the Lord prophesies, uh, which is what we call the Proto-Evangelum in Genesis 3.15 that there's an offspring of the woman who's coming, who's going to crush or bruise the head of the serpent who deceived her, who Adam willingly obeyed, who brought in sin, and now it's your problem. Uh, but there's one coming who will crush Satan's head, right? But he will have his heel bruised. 
right? These things, all of the Old Testament narrative is culminating into when Jeremiah says, the days are coming, right? This is like a big event. Uh, all throughout the prophetic literature, it's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, you see it all the time that the days are coming. I will fulfill these promises, right? And so how many people have heard, I think it's in, um, it's in Romans, I think eight, I don't know. Uh, every, every promise is yes and amen in the Lord, mm-hmm. right? We hear that, but if we don't know what the promises is, it, they are, they don't make any sense. Second Corinthians one twenty. thank you. And so if we, whatever in our minds, what tends to happen is what we think those promises are, is like, oh, the Lord's going to give me a good car. Yes and amen. Cha-ching, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, not so for me. My car broke down yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't get it fixed. Maybe today. But, right? That's not the promises. I don't see that in Scripture. Right? It's what is the, the major narrative and promises are that there's going to be a people who are fruitful and, and multiply, who fill the earth and take dominion for the glory of the Lord, right? Ever since uh, Adam and Eve's sin fell and Cain killed his brother, this problem of sin has been getting progressively and filling the earth, right? And the whole Old Testament narrative is about looking for this Messiah, the Savior, who's going to come and put an end to the evil, Right? When are we going to stop sinning? When are things going to get better? Well, I can tell you. Uh, he says, in those days, again, verse 15 of Jeremiah 33, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, right, from the house of Judah. He will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Um, and so he's saying that in... Essentially, in the new covenant, I'm going to cause this Messiah figure, this, this Savior to come and be the Savior. He's going to redeem people to be actually equipped to be fruitful and multiply, right? To actually take dominion and actually give glory. And so, uh, again, we see that foreshadowed uh, in the uh, Pentateuch in number 16. Everybody know about the story of when Aaron's staff butted? I had to revisit. I was like, I was asking Noel yesterday. I was like, I know that the staff butted. I know, I kind of remember the context behind it, but I was like, wait a minute, let me reread this and see what's going on. And so, uh, just to remind everybody or to go over it, so uh, Israel was in, in the desert, in the wilderness, before they had reached the promised land. And uh, one of the sons of Levi, Korah, led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, saying, all these people are holy. They've done all that you commanded. Why do you exalt yourself above the people? And uh, the first thing Moses did was he ducked to the ground because uh, it says he bowed down, uh, presumably, I think, because he thought like the Lord was going like, to bring judgment. He's like, whoa, get out of the way. Like, <laughs> Lightning bolt's coming. Uh, and... You know, in Korah's rebellion, it showed uh, the Lord magnificently opened up the earth to swallow those who were trying to do, trying to exalt themselves uh, into a position that they weren't uh, elected by God. And so God destroyed them. And then what happened? Because they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, against the people. And so what did the people do? Yeah, 
They grumbled some more. They said, hey, that looks like a good idea. It worked out good for Korah and all those people. Let's grumble some more. <laughs> yeah, and so they said, well, now they're grumbling against Aaron and Moses that you killed the people of the Lord. The Lord literally swallowed them up, and now they're grumbling against uh, God's elected officials uh, and saying, you killed them, you did this. Uh, and Moses is like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Uh, these people don't stop grumbling. And, and so Aaron and Moses uh, uh, are close enough to the tent of meeting, and the Lord uh, uh, communes with Moses and said, I'm sending out a plague, my wrath is upon them, and because of their grumbling, because of their sin, they will be destroyed. And uh, it doesn't say that the Lord told Moses to do this, but Moses told Aaron to grab a scepter, fill it with incense, and run to, out to the people to atone for their sins, right? And so Aaron, uh, uh, being the elected priest, runs out between the people, and as this plague is spreading between the camps, he is burning incense and atoning in a real way for their sins on their behalf. And so this Aaron figure is, and guess how many people died? 20, Close, it's 14,700. It wasn't like a couple people, <laughs> right? It's a big issue, right? Grumbling, complaining, sin, right? And so Aaron's running out, and it says he's literally standing between the dead and the living, right? This is uh, biblical imagery of, of one who is going to stand between the people, between the living and the dead, and is going to be their savior. Uh, lest God's judgment, his, his wrath goes to all people, right? And so after that, Aaron comes back and he says, Moses, I did it. <laughs> we saved some of them. Uh, and... And the Lord tells them, like, grab the heads, grab a staff from the heads of every tribe, right? And Aaron's staff from the tribe of Levi. And so there's 12 staffs that go in, and the Lord said, I will show you who will be, uh, if you people want to continue to grumble, I'll show you who's elected, uh, who is who's the blessing of the Lord falls on, and, uh, and who he chooses. Um, and so the 12 staffs go in. Uh, I think they says they, they write or carve their, their names on it. And guess whose staff gets butted? Aaron's. Right, it was fruitful. It wasn't just a little bud. It, there was almonds. There was flowers, right? So there was a staff or there was a branch that came about, right? And so the context is important. What did Aaron just do? He just ran between the people to atone for their sins, to uh, lest that they would all die, to absorb God's wrath, right? And then the Lord says, uh, leave this staff in the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol for all peoples so that they would stop grumbling. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'd be like, well, I do remember 14,000 people dying. <laughs> we have to bury them all. That's a pretty good reminder for now. Uh, but, but they're going into the promised land anyways, right? And so uh, we start to see these images of a, there's going to be one who's going to be fruitful and multiply. He's going to atone for the sins. He's going to mediate between the people. He's going to stand and absorb God's wrath, right? And that's when uh, 
we're going to see fruitfulness, right? Uh, same thing in the context of what we read of Jeremiah 33. The Lord says that I will atone for your sins, and then I will make your city prosperous, and this city will be a delight, right? Uh, Jeremiah says, if you look at uh, in Jeremiah 23, I think it's verse 6 or something, um, he says the exact same thing uh, that in those days, a time will come where I, call, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Uh, in those days, Israel and Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will, will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he, it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Exact same thing, Jeremiah says it uh, 10 chapters earlier in chapter 23. But in the context of those scriptures, of what Jeremiah is saying, is against the false shepherds of Israel. That there are shepherds who are not caring for the flock. There are shepherds who are uh, exalting themselves above them and, and being overbearing or whatever, or mistreating the sheep, right? Uh, but the Lord will bring about a righteous branch to rule over by the line of David, right? Uh, Isaiah, living a hundred years before Jeremiah, uh, wrote that there shall, be, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, right, who is in the line of Judah, right, and uh, who was David's father. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit, right? That's in Isaiah 11. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ear hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. All right, skip down a couple of verses, and that's in Isaiah 11:5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Right? Uh, Isaiah picks up the same theme in his, uh, uh, as he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 60, where he says that the people would be a righteous branch of the Lord, that the people would one day bear fruit, they would multiply, right? There would be this fruitfulness about them, right? The whole Old Testament is you're looking for this one figure who's going to come, and when the people are finally going to bear fruit, right? It's, uh, have you guys ever been frustrated by you want to accomplish something, not necessarily spiritual goals or Christian goals or something, but uh, even in work, right, or in your vocation, you want to do something, but it keeps getting, you keep getting frustrated and frustrated, and it just never happens, and there might be, uh, you know, tons of different personal or, or corporate reasons why, but, uh, right, the whole Old Testament is, the narrative is this huge frustration of, like, when is it going to happen? When are we going to get there? When are we going to be fruitful, right? Um, but uh, we see again in Isaiah, uh, in chapter 9, right, classic Advent readings. I did check ahead. This reading was in last year, which is we're on year C of our Advent readings. There's a three-year cycle, and this was last year's, so we won't be reading it this year, so I could use it as much as I want. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Right, Same thing as justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
right? He clearly says that the Messiah will be given and his kingdom will actually come a few thousand years later. And, oh no, we don't read that, right? Uh, when his kingdom, when he's born, his kingdom comes. That's what we see in Jeremiah. That when the righteous branch comes, he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. When this Messiah comes, the promise is fulfilled, right? Israel and Judah and Jerusalem uh, will dwell securely. That's the promise we have. We don't have to wait for it, right? And so in the new covenant, all of the Old Testament, Old Covenant is leading for this Messiah, what we're looking for. I think it's Second Peter that says that those uh, who prophesied in old were looking for the times and, and signs to realize the Christ. This is what everybody was looking for. And one of those reasons is, as Jeremiah was prophesying, the promised land of Jerusalem that they were led into, and because of their sin, they thought they were going to just keep the land forever, but it was destroyed, it was sieged. And then they rebuilt it, and then it was sieged again. Uh, right? And then, um, but in the new covenant, we have the promises of God that we are going to be fruitful, right? Because we have a righteous branch, we have a righteous head. John 15 talks about this uh, pretty clearly that uh, we are the vine, he is the branches, right? And that and in him, we will be fruitful. There's no other way around it, right? It's not now that we have Christ and Jesus can sit over here and he does his thing as long as he doesn't. He can just like help me be a little fruitful, right? It's not that, uh, well, I don't feel like I'm being fruitful and we can define that. Then I'll go back to Jesus and get a little bit more and come back and I'll do my thing and come back, right? It's abiding in him. It's staying in him. He promises fruitfulness because uh, we're going to talk about uh, righteousness and justice here in a second of the normal life of a Christian in his kingdom is Christ taking dominion over your life, over your family, over your church, over your city, over uh, whatever sphere that you're in, and he is executing justice and righteousness in the land. Those things are supposed to increase. Those are the promises we have. And so if we don't see an increase in, in crucifying the flesh uh, and living by the Spirit and Christ's kingdom increasing and righteousness increasing and justice increasing, then there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our understanding or how we're operating or what we're doing or where we're putting our faith or something. Uh, but there's something wrong because that is the normal pattern for Christian life. Right? That's why Isaiah 9 is is one of my favorite verses. And it's easy to think that for the world or outside sources or anyone but me. Uh, but is his government increasing? Are we continually yielding more and more to King Jesus? Right? It says he's coming to uh, execute righteousness, righteousness in the land. Right? 1 John 5.3 for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. All right? So in Christ, uh, does anybody, well, does anybody read that and be like, <laughs> that's a funny one. <laughs> his commandments are not burdensome. <laughs> love your enemies. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, right? 
Does anybody ever think that? Right? But in, in the new covenant, with Christ as our head, and if we abide in him, those aren't burdensome. Right? Uh, you know, when, uh, when I come home from a long day at work that might be more or less frustrating, and Noel asks me to do the dishes, uh, it's not burdensome if I'm walking in the Spirit, and I'm generous, uh, and I'm wanting to be more uh, concerned about her and loving, right? If you obey the commands, you love them. Um, but it's a lot more burdensome when I'm walking in the flesh, and I think, well, I deserve better, and well, I worked all day, and I did this, and I, 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 right? It is burdensome. Galatians promises us when we walk in the flesh, we'll live a fleshly life. But if we walk in the Spirit, we'll put those things of the flesh to death. And that those, those commands really aren't burdensome, right? And so one of the way it works out in reality is, is how Christ continues to exalt his government over you. Um, Isaiah says that peace will increase. And as a baby Christian, it's really easy to understand and see. It's like, well, if they have a lot of besetting sins or something, or they're really struggling with something, well, they're kind of uh, new to Christ, and that's okay, um, and you're just like any discipline that if, uh, like waking up early or something, I've had to do that recently since Lily goes to school instead of homeschooling. And that's really hard at the beginning to wake up at 6.45 when I'm used to waking up at much later, we'll just say, uh, and, and get up. And then I got to get up a sleeping child and make her breakfast and do all these things. And uh, what are we, like halfway through the school year? And it's, it's getting easier. <laughs> it's getting a little easier. Uh, and now, even on the weekends, I can't sleep in past eight. My body won't let me. And so, but as you crucify those things, as you crucify sin, it does get easier. As you walk in the Spirit, get filled with the Spirit, and submit to Christ, it does get easier. And so, um, uh, that's just kind of how it works in, in reality, that if you tap into the grace of God and you get filled with the Spirit, those things do get easier, and it's supposed to increase. That's a normal thing, right? Uh, Hebrews brings it out as, uh, the writer of Hebrews brings it out as a uh, more of a condemnation or a word of correction. He says, by now you ought to be teachers, but I have to remind you of the principal things or the elementary things um, uh, in the word. And Hebrews 13 says, he calls that person in his unskilled in the word of righteousness. He calls uh, the gospel, the, uh, the scriptures, the word of righteousness. All right, so those things are supposed to be put asunder. Those things are supposed to be killed. And that, in biblical language, is what's called being fruitful, right? Uh, and that only happens under Christ our head. And so if there's something, if you're two, three, four years in the Lord, and, there's, and you're not being fruitful, um, then there's a problem. And it has to do with whether you're submitted under Christ's headship and how he normally operates. And so uh, I don't want us to waste this Advent season. This is a time where we're taking four whole weeks in the church calendar to look at the coming king. It's a celebration. Uh, it's, it's not Lent, so we don't have to be somber and sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, not that that's what Lent is actually about. But... Right, this is a, is a time to remind us of 
in Christ, his government is increasing. We are celebrating the, the coming of the king, right? And then for three weeks, we celebrate that the king is here in Christmas time. Uh, and so it's a time to be reminded that he is the righteous branch. He is going to bring about righteousness, and he is going to hammer it into you, and he is going to get it uh, one way or another, right? And that we should, be, we should not resist it. Um, and so he doesn't just say he's bringing about righteousness, but he's bringing and executing justice. And so normally when we think about justice, uh, we don't think about, I can't have justice on myself because unless I wrong myself, then I have to do something to atone for myself. Justice is a community thing. It's a, uh, it's a relational thing. And so just to bring this out a little bit, uh, um, Jesus isn't here. Not like Jesus isn't present here, not that the Spirit isn't present here, not that he isn't currently reigning, but uh, he's not physically here. He ascended to the Father. He was crucified, he was buried for three days, he rose, and he ascended to the Father. We recite that every week in the Nicene Creed. And so without Christ physically here, uh, we, we get that all the promises were fulfilled at his coming, uh, in Christ's coming, but Christ normally operates through his church to execute justice and righteousness. And so even in Jeremiah 30, 33 and all throughout prophetic literature, we see that he's talking about this city, Jerusalem, uh, what the writer of, of Hebrews calls the heavenly Zion, um, is that Christ normally associates and operates, or I should say always, uh, through his church to execute justice. We are called to be a city not just to be fruitful in ourself, but a fruitful city and a fruitful community. Um, it might have been a little bit more uh, easier to envision that when, uh, you know, before the first millennia, when there was only one church, or before the 1500s, when there were only two churches that you could choose from. Uh, but in our present day and time, using wisdom, thinking of our local body and expression uh, of Christ in the church that we are called to be a community who is fruitful and multiply, who takes dominion, who, if you just follow the narrative of, of Jeremiah, who uh, is, is one and abides in the head with a righteous branch, uh, who um, uh, submits to the Lord, who pursues righteousness, and then we're called to execute judge, justice amongst one another. And so just a uh, practical way, if you guys read 1 Corinthians 6, you can look at how, if Paul even says, if there's any grievance from one another, uh, why do you go to court? Why do you handle this in outside courts? Right? The church is supposed to be a fruitful city who has its own governments, who has its own bylaws, who looks out for one another. Right? He says, why do you go to the outsiders who essentially don't have the truth, who don't know what justice is, <laughs> who don't have any mercy? Do you really want to go to them? Right? Is there nobody wise enough amongst you to deal uh, against these problems, against these grievances, against these, this grumbling or something uh, that two members have against one another? First Timothy 5 gives another example of that, of, of a form of justice, of practical justice, of giving um, uh, examples of widows in the church who are poor, presumably because their husbands got martyred, because uh, everyone's getting persecuted in those days pretty heavily. And so how do we care for widows? Do we send them to uh, the outside of, go down here, file these papers, and 
the government will take care of you. No, we're supposed to be a city who the Lord promises will be prosperous when uh, looks at and executes righteousness and, uh, and justice. And we are called to have justice, have that righteousness in amongst ourselves, right? And so many of us are looking towards the outside world of, well, the government's doing this, and I see tons of government infringement and all these things, and that's just not right. And I agree, that's just not right. But how many of us have studied the word of the Lord, uh, have gotten discipled, and know the Ten Commandments, know God's moral law? How many of us can teach on it, right? If we don't know these things of what God considers justice, of how we would execute that amongst ourselves, then we can't, we can't be multiplied. We can't go forth. We have to be fruitful and then multiply, right? It's a, a very basic equation in Scripture and in nature that you have to have fruit, and a fruit usually produces seeds, and you plant those seeds. One, let's just say apple, uh, will produce like 10 to 20 seeds, right? And those seeds can produce 10 to 20 trees. Those trees increase and produce more, right? But if we're not fruitful first, we can't multiply. And so we're called under Christ, our righteous branch, to be fruitful. Uh, what does he call justice? What does he call righteousness? It's not what we think it is, and that doesn't matter. It's what Christ calls righteousness. And so if you're not pursuing that, you're not pursuing Christ, right? And so that's what we're called to in the, in the season of Advent is when, he's, when we want his government. When we're saying we're waiting for Christ, our king, to come, and we're celebrating that, that means we're wanting Christ to come and have dominion over our lives. We want to say, uh, like Paul, like I was bought with a price. Uh, I don't have a choice anymore. I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. I'm going to study scripture as much as he wants me to study. I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, submit to my wife when she wants me to do the dishes. And it doesn't matter if I've had a, a long day and a stressful day, right? Uh, I'm going to do that, right? I don't have a choice, right? First uh, John says that thus who have this hope, essentially in Christ's resurrection, that we will be like him when we're resurrected, we purify ourselves as he is pure. We're called to be a holy people, right? And that's what we're looking for in Advent, right? But he doesn't leave us there to do it in our own works. He doesn't leave us there uh, to just keep trying harder. Verse 16 of Isaiah 33. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it is called. The Lord is our righteousness, right? Not that we will continue to work and strive for our own righteousness apart from Christ, but that we have his imputed righteousness, uh, and we don't take that lightly. We don't take that as, well, Christ forgave me, now I can continue to sin, or now I can do it without him, right? We are called, it says, and this is the name by which it, meaning the city that we dwell in, the Lord is our righteousness. That's how we accomplish this, that in Advent, we're looking to continually be, be one and under the headship of our righteous branch, right? That we have his imputed righteousness, and we don't take that lightly, we don't just take that and, and throw that out. That is, uh, if you're looking at, the again, the narrative of the entire Old Testament, all these people were trying to bring about righteousness, and even David through the king, to execute that in the land, but it didn't work. 
right? But now in the new covenant, it will. That's our promise. And so um, you've got to ask in that verse, what are we saved from? Uh, in those days, Judah will be saved. Well, again, the city was being sieged. There were enemies coming. It's called the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. <laughs> That's who they were going to uh, eventually be saved from and dwell securely, right? That's a funny thing to say when enemies are burning your city and killing your kings and taking people captive, right? But uh, in those days, right, in the new covenant, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, the people of God will dwell securely, and that's the rest, and that's the grace we find in our righteous branch, right? He's the one that's going to cause us to be fruitful. We have to stay under him to be fruitful. And so our calling uh, as a church, as every church is, is we find in Isaiah 2, which I'll let everybody meditate and read on uh, this week, um, is that the mountain of the house of the Lord will, in those days, in the last days, he says, will be raised up against every other mountain, right? And that mountain, the people of God, uh, all other nations will stream to that mountain because they have the law, because they have God's word. And so that's what we're called to be. Uh, that's how we be uh, fruitful. That's how we execute justice. We have God's law. It says that even other nations will come to that nation uh, to settle disputes, right? So that's how we're called to operate. So in this time of Advent, uh, I want us to take a, a look and just go deeper at um, what is actually the, the Lord is calling us to. When we're saying that Christ is coming, don't let this season just pass to be a, a happy season filled with Christmas things and, and fun things, and uh, although those should be happening, but to call us back to, to righteousness, to find out what God calls justice. How do we be fruitful? Right? And that's what we'll look at in some coming weeks. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we know that your word uh, in deep in our hearts produces fruit, but we are um, opposed to your word uh, except by the Holy Spirit coming and making us alive and making us submit uh, to you, to your teaching. Cause us to be fruitful uh, individually. Cause us to be fruitful in our families, uh, as heads of households, as, as we live in community with each other, uh, to admonish one another, to teach one another, to encourage, to correct. Uh, and cause us as a church to be fruitful, to multiply, to sit under Christ, uh, to be part of the righteous branch, to bear fruit, to increase, to make disciples, uh, and to spread your word uh, and your Lord, lordship, your dominion, uh, and to everywhere that you call us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.